You're listening to the Farm Report Podcast with Jake and Corey, brought to you by Indians Baseball Insider and broadcast on the Smoke Signals Podcast Network. We're talking tribe. Good day, good afternoon, and good evening. Wherever and whenever you happen to be tuning in, we are glad to have you aboard. I'm Jake Dungan, Editor-in-Chief for Indians Baseball Insider, welcoming you to an all-star break edition, at least part, partially all-star break edition, of the Farm Report podcast as the AAA and AA levels are in the middle of their annual all-star break. and uh, But we're still here to talk some baseball. There's still plenty of prospect talk, and minor league uh, discussion to get to. And joining me, as always, to talk prospects and minor league action is my friend and co-host, Corey Crisson. Corey, how's it going? Hey, Jake. It's going well, man. It's nice to be back home and situated, and I've been rolling along with the scrappers. Uh, and they're, they're hot right now. They get the best record in the league. Things are going pretty well over my way. Good, good to be back. Sure, it's good to be able to see some Indians uh, minor league baseball for a change. I mean, I know you got a lot of... Syracuse Chiefs uh, coverage under your belt. Now you get back in the, back on the home front uh, covering Scrappers baseball, getting a look at a pretty good uh, baseball team right now. I mean, you've got guys like Tyler Freeman, Jose Nelson, and, of course, Luis Oviedo, who we're going to get to later in the show, just tearing it up right now. Uh, pro- probably very good to see in person for a change. It is, and it's, it's got that home feel, you know. I went back into Eastwood Field. Um, of course, I'm working for the team now. I'm doing some web and social for them. So if you see some Instagram or tweets uh, posted, it probably is for me. Um, but anyway, so I'm in the building quite a bit. It's nice to get around the players. I actually talked to Richie Palacios today, the Indians' third-round pick out of Towson. Great guy, very nice to talk to, very enjoyable conversation. So, yeah, it's, it's just really good to be back and uh, back in finally full – Indians mode, you know, like you said, uh, covering the Chiefs was awesome, but it's nice to be home. Yep, very nice indeed. So, uh, like I said, got a couple teams off, Akron and Columbus, uh, in the middle of their all-star breaks, but there's still plenty of news to discuss. First of all, how about uh, the Indians trading uh, right-handed pitcher Tommy DeJunis to Houston for right-handed pitcher James Hoyt, who has been assigned to Columbus. Indians obviously uh, with dealing with the mindset of adding some relief pitching depth for the big league club, and while Tommy DeJunis was an intriguing prospect, he was still down in Lake County and uh, still a little ways off from the major leagues. So uh, uh, we wish Tommy all the best uh, in his with his new organization, and we'll see what James Hoyt brings to the picture. But uh, uh, what, are, what were your thoughts on this deal, Corey, this uh, first deal of the Indians' uh, trading season? Well, I don't know if it was necessarily reactionary or anything because – the Indians' bullpen wasn't where it is right now. I think it would be a different story. But what they did was they dealt a 22-year-old who was drafted pretty late last season, um, and they grabbed a veteran. Hoyt's 31. Um, he spent some time in the majors. He Actually, he only threw one appearance uh, with the Astros. That was back in um, 2017. He had a, or rather, he had an appearance this season, and then in 2017 he spent time with the Astros. So he's had some major league service. Um, uh, you know, it's an intriguing move because we've talked about this theme of, you know, the guys like Neil Ramirez and just the guys that the Indians have called up on these veteran deals and have signed to these minor league deals that have kind of worked out in Columbus. And then just with the issues that are going on with the bullpen, um, you know, guys like Neil Ramirez, like I said, get that chance. So, I, I mean, I don't dislike the move one bit, but at the same time, I wonder if this is them just shoring up that depth at that higher level because God knows they need it right now. And especially with the trade deadline coming around, I wonder what their thoughts are, you know, with prospects, who they want to plan on offering or who they might deal or what's going to happen if they are shopping for relievers. And I mean, I wonder if Hoyt and guys like that would just be a stopgap for now. But I mean, I, like I said, I don't dislike the move. I, I think it's something they need to do given the situation, but we'll see how it, it, it kind of pans out. Well, I am intrigued by Hoyt because uh, in his minor league career, he's had good strikeout numbers, 296 career ERA, uh, 
56 career saves and 68 chances. I mean, take minor league save numbers with a grain of salt, but 412 strikeouts and 301.1 innings, that, that's a pretty good ratio. 207 career batting average against, 1.14 uh, whip. Uh, he doesn't give up, he hasn't given up a lot of homers in the minor leagues, but the homer ball has killed him in the major leagues. He's given up, uh, I believe, by my count, uh, nine homers in, uh, or actually, no, uh, check that, uh, 12 homers in, uh, in about, uh, 65 major league appearances so far. Uh, we'll make that 66 if you include this year. But, so the home run ball has, uh, hurt him in the major leagues so far, but the strikeout numbers have been there, and they've been there in the minor leagues. He's been around the block a few times, uh, gotten up to the majors with the Astros, and spent a lot of time in the minors. He's 31 years old now, so he's got some mileage under his belt and some experience. Uh, definitely good depth for the Indians, and uh, I'm sure we'll probably discuss more uh, on the Smoke Signals podcast, but from the minor league standpoint, uh, good depth add. Uh, Tommy DeJunis, again, uh, 26-round pick and from last season, uh, had a 338 ERA and 20 appearances for Lake County, was an all-star there, uh, 39 strikeouts and 29 and a third innings. He's probably got a decent future ahead of him, the way his numbers have stacked up so far. But, uh, again, the Indians, with the mindset of uh, filling their more immediate needs, uh, you just have to you just have to uh, deal from uh, from within and – you know, DeJunis, uh, for whatever upside and potential he has, he still was a 26-round pick and uh, some not a, uh, a hefty price to give up for some somebody who can help the major league club. So uh, I think it was a solid deal for the Tribe, and we'll see what Hoyt brings to the table if he ever does get to the majors. Neither one has yet to make an appearance with their new organization, so uh, we'll wait and see how that shapes out. Uh, uh, All-Star talk, though, we have some more additions to the uh, – Triple-A All-Star team, as well as the uh, the uh, Futures game for the uh, Major League All-Star game. Uh, first, uh, talk about the Futures game. We have this year representing the Indians, Francisco Mejia. Surprise, surprise, uh, after his red-hot June. Back, uh, back representing Team World in the Futures game. And this year also joining Team World for the first time in his career, Kieran Lovegrove, who has had an incredibly dominant season in the bullpen for uh, Akron this year. And uh, he'll be representing Team World as a, a South African native. And I know he's uh, expressed on social media his uh, how thrilled and honored he is to be able to re- represent the organization as well as his uh, country and the uh, Futures game. And uh, Mejia, this is just another uh, another uh, accolade in his, uh, in his corner, which he has plenty to go around. Uh, so those two representing the uh, Futures game. I mean, I know... We had, last year we had Mejia and uh, Tristan McKenzie, number one and two prospects. Uh, McKenzie, of course, uh, had a delayed start to the year, but has pitched well, but obviously not well enough to uh, get into the Futures game this year. But Love Grove, very nice story, and very nice to see him uh, see his uh, efforts rewarded after him moving to the bullpen and having to adapt to a new role, and he's uh, starting to see some results, and uh, now he's getting rewarded for it. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think McKenzie threw, what, two pitches in that game last year? Yeah, I think it was something like that. Um, I, so hopefully Lovegrove throws more than that this year. Um, we've talked a ton about Mejia, so I'll talk about Lovegrove. But I remember, and I'll be the first to admit, I remember writing him off after that 2015 season he had in the Honing Valley. He went 1-8 and eight with a 6.08 ERA and 14 starts. Like, anyone else would probably cut ties with that, but... The Indians stuck with him. They moved him to the bullpen to start 2016. He improved there, you know, going from a 608 ERA to a 425 ERA. Sounds like, well, he still has a 425 ERA, but at the same time, that's almost two full runs per nine innings that he improved his mark. So you got to give him credit for that. And then this year, both in Lynchburg and in Akron, he's just been completely dominant for no. 135 ERA in 26 appearances. Opponents are 190 off him. He has 48 strikeouts to 19 walks. So he's definitely figured out that control and that command. And um, we've talked in length about bullpen options. 
What about this guy as a dark horse to go up to Cleveland this season, as early as this season? I'm really curious. He's really rose up the ranks in the prospect uh, spectrum, and, um, you know, the Indians got to be really pleased with that, especially he was a third-round pick. You know, that, that would be something if, you know, you got you draft the guy that high and then he doesn't pan out. But it's just amazing. It's an amazing story all around, like you said, that he's turning it around. And who knows, you know, there's only been one other South African-born player to ever make the major leagues. Uh, gift Nagope for the Pirates not too long ago. So maybe Lovegrove could be that second. You got to be really happy for him. That really is a great story. Yep. And uh, you talk about his uh, trajectory. Uh, he's followed almost a s- exactly similar path as uh, Mitch Mitch Brown, uh, almost simultaneously. Uh, both were top round picks, came into the uh, organization as starters, posted uh, fair to middle results there, uh, struggled at times, and then both moved to the bullpen uh, right around the same time, and uh, both have you know had to work for it, but now are seeing the results of it. And Lovegrove, because Mitch Brown right now is starting to see some command issues come back, but still pitching pretty well overall. But Lovegrove, from start to finish this year, has just been uh, just been dominant through and through. I mean, a 156 ERA in Lynchburg, a 119 ERA in Akron so far. Uh, 48 strikeouts in 40 innings, 190 average, 1.18 whip. It's just uh, there's nothing that you can say right now that he isn't doing well. He's doing well just across the board. And uh, I I would agree. I think that Lovegrove at this point might be the the dark horse candidate for a bullpen spot. Uh, We'll see if maybe a promotion to Lynchburg or to Columbus is in order at some point. Maybe he can follow like the Shane Bieber path pitching at three different levels of one season. Uh, and I think that Lovegrove definitely has up, has uh, uh, resurrected his prospect stock. You know, everybody envisioned him as a top-round top, top round starter, but now he's, uh, now he's looking like a pretty good reliever. And, uh, boy, that bullpen in Akron has just been uh, so good. I mean, you got guys like Lovegrove, Mitch Brown, uh, Henry Martinez, who we've talked about before, David Spear. Uh, it's a really good back end of that bullpen and uh, hopefully uh, a sign of things to come for the Indians and, you know, with guys like Andrew Miller and Cody Allen leaving for free agency soon, hopefully guys like Lovegrove, Brown, Henry Martinez, uh, they can start to move, work their way up and uh, find their way into the back end of the Indians bullpen someday, uh, hopefully, and that would certainly uh, bode well for them in their future, especially the way things have been so shaky for them. This year, we've kind of seen what uh, the what it means to not have a good bullpen, and it's not a pretty picture. So, uh, Lovegrove can certainly help be a solution to that. But in the meantime, congrats to him on making the uh, uh, futures game for the world team, and uh, enjoy the festivities in our nation's capital. I'm sure he's going to uh, appreciate that as well, uh, as I'm sure Mejia will. And uh, the All Star talk, which I mentioned before, uh, we had since the All Star game is in Columbus. There's been a few more Clippers players added, which it's pretty pretty typical, pretty standard. Uh, we saw that same thing happen when the All-Star game was in Akron a couple of years ago, and, or last year, rather. And uh, you had uh, a lot of uh, Rubber Ducks players representing the uh, team uh, and got to play in front of the hometown fans. Well, here in Columbus, we have uh, Eric Haas, Yu Chang, Mitch Tabot, Talbot, and uh, uh, Adam Wilk joining uh, Brent. Brandon Barnes and Francisco Mejia on the All-Star Club uh, for the International League. And uh, uh, our man down there, Colin Gay, did a, uh, piece, on, uh, did a piece on the All-Stars uh, going to represent the Clippers in the uh, Midsummer Classic for uh, AAA. And I uh, got to catch up with some of those players and uh, talk about their experience, forthcoming experience of playing in front of their hometown crowd in Columbus. So if you haven't checked that out yet, uh, it's up on the site now. I'll uh, be sure to give that a quick perusal. But uh, your thoughts, Corey, quickly on uh, these guys being added to the uh, All-Star team for uh, the International League. In the year of our Lord, 2018 AD, 34-year-old Mitch Talbot is a AAA All-Star. Just <laughs> let that one let that one simmer for a minute. Who saw that one coming ever? Um, I don't think he's so. only. <laughs> uh, I don't. I don't. I I know. I know. I'm just. 
Could you when go you back and, like can, can we jump into DeLorean and go back to 2000 and place that future bet? Yeah, go back to two, I'll go back to 02, right when he was drafted in the second round. And I'll say, hey, you know, in about 16 years, he's going to be an all-star. All, all jokes aside, um, Columbus is getting really good representation. Of course, like you said, they're hosting. Um, and, by the way, Huntington, Huntington Park is going to be an amazing host for that event. I can already tell. It's, it, that's a beautiful place. Uh, down in our state's capital. But um, I think that Adam Wilk getting it as well is intriguing because it's not really a household name right now. And uh, numbers-wise, you would think, well, a, a guy that's 3-7 and seven with a 425 ERA, you know, why is he going? But he put some pretty quality starts together for Columbus this season. Um, he he's, eats innings, which I think is very important, especially – in AAA, he's got seven innings twice in the past ten starts, and he's gone at least six five times. So he's eating innings up for Columbus, especially when you got Bieber and Plotko going through the proverbial revolving door um, from Columbus to Cleveland about 71. You need a guy like that. So he's been pretty solid for the, for the Clippers, but I still can't over Mitch Talbot. Um, in, in the year that we're in, getting in as a AAA All-Star, that's – Pretty phenomenal. Eric Haas um, surely deserves it as well. He might not be hitting at the same rate, at the same clip, rather, that he was last season, but I, I think he's one of the more solid catching prospects, in, um, at least in AAA, that I've seen this season. Uh, maybe Williams Estudio for, um, I think it's Rochester in the twin system, might be the most impressive one I've seen. But Eric Haas all around, we know how he is a, is a game manager, so... He'll fit in right, right, right with that roster, and it's just been nice to see some of these Clippers get that rec- get that re- recognition this season. Yeah, Haas really swinging the bat well lately. I think he's batting about three hundred uh, the last week or so, maybe three thirty something, and uh, starting to tap into a little bit more of that power again. And uh, I, I'm glad to see him uh, start to pick things up after a kind of a slower start to the year. Hopefully, he finishes out the season strong, but. Uh, yeah, Chang, Talbot, that, I agree with you. That's a, that's quite a story there to see him go from independent ball and, you know, what, uh, how, how many years out of the majors, like five, like uh, seven years out of the majors, uh, and now he's back in an in affiliate organization and, and is uh, representing them in the All-Star game. That's a, that's a pretty good uh, story and pretty good trajectory there. Uh, one other note uh, that uh, – is uh, interesting is that the Indians have re-signed veteran outfielder Melky Cabrera to a minor league deal and assigned him to AAA Columbus. And with the news coming down about Lonnie Chisholm, supposed to be out eight to ten weeks with a grade three cap strain. Not good news there. Uh, this probably wasn't too surprising, especially I think that the signing came down af- right after, like maybe the day after uh, Chisholm got hurt and was placed in the DL, and they brought back Melky, and I wouldn't be surprised to see him back in Cleveland at some point soon. Uh, so another quick note there. Uh, here's, a, here's an interesting discussion, though, Corey. We're in the uh, beginning of the trade season here. We already saw the first deal go down with the Junis for James Foyt, uh, and this is a, a discussion that gets brought up every year, and, of course, that discuss, the discussion changes, of course, due to – you know, how prospects are performing, what the team's needs are, and, you know, the, just the prospect landscape in general and the, the uh, landscape in the market and how thing, how the market's going to play out. But uh, I'll ask you right now, though, uh, we're about three weeks away from the trade deadline, maybe a little more than that. Uh, who are the, in your mind, the untouchable prospects for the Indians this trade season? And if there are untouchable prospects in your mind, would there be any kind of deal on the table any kind of return that would make you change your mind about that? Disclaimer, are we counting Bieber and Plucko as prospects? I would definitely count Bieber. Uh, Plucko is still within prospect status, but uh, I, he's, I think he's on a lesser tier than Bieber is. So by my count, I have right now, and I might be biased on one of these guys, I have four right now. I have Mackenzie, Bieber, Nolan Jones, and Tyler Freeman. Um, the, the biased one is Tyler Freeman because I've seen him play this year, 
and I get it, he's very young, and they're probably not going to deal him, um, given how young he is and how he's barely got affiliate ball experience under his belt. But you can already tell with him that he just gets it and that he understands when he's when he's in the batter's box, he looks comfortable. He doesn't look wonky or look, doesn't look like he's guessing. He looks like he has a game plan when he goes out there on the field, and I appreciate that about him. I say Jones because he's been hurt this season, and although, although the numbers might be skewed and some teams might be, quote-unquote, trying to buy low, I still think that he's got a really legit shot at being that third baseman in the future in Cleveland. He's got the size. He's got the ability to hit for contact. He's going to develop some power. Um, I think the fielding will come around. He's had some issues with errors. So I'd say Jones is one of those. Bieber and McKenzie, I think, are fairly obvious choices there. I'm not including Francisco Mejia, and here's why. I think that what we've seen recently from him with this kind of news about his reluctance to go play in the outfield and how he's not really a fan of going to play third base, I think that the organization would see that, and we know that they have an MO of favoring these guys that are willing to switch positions and go try other things to increase First of all, versatility. Second of all, prospect depth. But also, kind of hand-in-hand, that increases their chances of going to Cleveland. When you look at how Roberto Perez and Young Gomes have performed this season, and then you add Eric Haas in the mix, and by the way, they just drafted Noah Naylor in the first round, you got to believe that Mejia becomes easier to be shocked with all of that said. So if Baltimore as a Machado piece or... Whatever it may be, you know, I say Machado because that's kind of the big ticket name right now. Um, Or if it's one of those relievers from Baltimore like we've been talking about, whatever it may be, a package deal. I think his name's going to get floated out there. And quite honestly, as great of a hitter as he is, this is his third Futures game in a row that he's been in. Now that's an accolade in itself, but don't you think after maybe one or two, especially when you're at the higher level now, that would have made that leap and, and it could just be being way blunt here and maybe a little that's just my kind of take on it and I'll hear what you think about that I think that with the in the light of this news that's come out this week about Mejia because it's basically confirmed what I think many of us were thinking but we didn't want to say on the record because we didn't know for sure what was going on with the comments that Frank Kona made and news has come out about Mejia, um, I, I think all our suspicions were pretty much confirmed. As I said, uh, it's more along the lines of you know the attitude problems that and off the field stuff that uh, we know has been a problem for him in the past. We just didn't know if it had been a problem for sure if it had been a problem for him this time around. But I think the lack of versatility definitely comes into play, and it makes me start to wonder if that the same thing might be true with uh, Yandy Diaz. Not that I'm saying that Yandy Diaz isn't willing to change positions. They've tried things out with him. Maybe it's just because he's not a guy who can be versatile. Maybe that's why the Indians are reluctant to, to, to turn to him uh, and call him up. But uh, I think that Mejia's unwillingness to – to try to be versatile, if that is indeed the case, as they say it is. Um, I think that's definitely knocked a few points off his stock in Harry Francona's mind. And we know that uh, Tito will um, not hold a grudge, but he, if somebody is unwilling to, to w- work with him and the, and the coaches and the, and the people within the organization, that he is not going to uh, reward them with, uh, playing time or at bats or even or, or or a call up if they're not willing to put in the work that he that he wants them to put in. So uh, I think that that's the case with Mejia, and I think that uh, the fact that they're willing to go public with it, I think, says a lot about how his stock is with the organization right now. Uh, and it might not be as high as maybe the prospect ranking says. So that and with that in mind, I think that they're might be a better chance now that he gets traded than there was, say, like a week or two ago. So I don't know that for sure. And I, a uh, gun to my head, I'd probably rather not trade Mejia just because I think he's a special kind of hitter. But at the same time, the, the big league club does have needs, and he seems to be on thin ice with the organization. So if you can get 
a good haul for him, which the Indians very well could. Uh, with his prospect ranking, his stats, his, uh, his acumen as a hitter and talents as a hitter, he's probably going to fetch a, a very good return. So I think that the Indians would be willing to trade him, and I don't think I, I don't think depending on the return, I would blame them for it because uh, they want to maintain a, they they, they want to maintain a uh, posture of work ethic and uh, team and team first mentality within the organization, and they've done that very well for the most part in the players they signed and drafted. So they don't want they don't want anybody kind of bucking that trend. And uh, if if that means trading Mejia, then so be it. And let's not forget he was traded once on paper, done deal to the Milwaukee Brewers. Uh, in retrospect, that the Indians probably lucked out not getting that deal done. And thank you, Jonathan Lucroy, for using that no trade clause. Because that would mean no Greg Allen, no uh, Yu Chang, um, and along with Mejia. So, uh, yeah. But uh, with all those factors in mind, I, I think that it is probably more likely than people think that uh, Mejia gets traded this, this trade deadline. My untouchable prospect right now, I think I would put McKenzie at number one because I've seen him pitch. And I finally had a chance to see him pitch now, and I think that – Based on the numbers and what I saw from him, even though he didn't have his best outing the time I saw him pitch, I think that there's something in, something there that the Indians should hold on to and try to continue to develop as potentially a future ace-level pitcher, uh, maybe in number two or low-end number three. Beaver I'm on the fence about, but I think that he has a certain mentality and – work ethic, and way of getting things done on the mound and going about his routines the right way. I think that there's something there that even though his stuff might not be the best you've ever seen, I think that there's something there where maybe he could elevate himself to another level just based on the way he goes about his business day-to-day and while he's on the mound. Again, we've made the Kluber comps before, and I'm, again, i got to add this disclaimer every time. We're not saying we compare him to Kluber, that he's going to be Corey Kluber because his stuff probably isn't going to ever get to that level. But based on his work ethic, how he goes about his routines, how he approaches hitters, makes adjustments in games, I think that uh, there's a lot of Kluber qualities in that respect. And as I'm sure you'd agree to that, we discussed it before. So I'm on the fence because the Indians have such a deep, uh, such a deep uh, rotation and have some pitching depth working their way up through the minors, guys like Eli Morgan, Aaron Savali, uh, and others. And uh, so I'm on the fence about that, but I think I, I would lean towards no in, as far as trading Bieber. Um, everybody else beyond that, I'm actually going to say, other than maybe Nolan Jones, I think I, I think I, I would agree with you on Nolan Jones. I think that he's probably going to be a special talent. Everybody else, I'm actually going to say, is on the table, including guys like Bobby Bradley, Will Benson, some other top prospects, because I think the Indians have a window here, and they need to capitalize on it. And I'm not saying go out there and spend willy-nilly and and go for broke, but I'm saying that I think that there should be more that they're willing to do to try to get to that uh, World Series title than uh, maybe they're comfortable with. So... Push the, I'd say I'm, I'd be more willing to push the envelope a little bit at this trade deadline. So other than maybe those one to three players, I, I think anything's on the table. I hear exactly what you're saying. I, and those three names are pretty consensus, I think, with a lot of Indians fans, you know, especially McKenzie. I think Bieber now is catching on to Tribe fans since he's plugged some service time in. Um, Nolan Jones fans are going to get to know pretty soon if they don't already, especially now that he's um, at Lake County. I'm, I'm assuming quite a bit of Indians fans up there when the Indians aren't in town hit up Classic Park for a few Pappins games and would see Nolan Jones. I mean, you want those character guys. Nolan Jones is a great person just from my interactions with him. He's very nice, always cordial, um, always willing to talk, and, and is very conversational. You know, that, Those are the kinds of things that I appreciate. Um, 
again, I mentioned Tyler Freeman, and I might be a little biased, and I know it's very, very early in his career, but um, like I said, you can just tell he has a certain demeanor out there. These are all really good prospects that the Indians honestly should put the names out there for in trade talks. Not necessarily deal them, but, you know, use them as bargaining chips and part of negotiations, but... At, at least the consensus ones that we're on, I, I think those are pretty solid ones to at least keep. All right, yeah, sounds good. So uh, I'm sure we'll discuss this more as the uh, trade deadline wears on. Uh, really quick, though, before we uh, move on to our next topic, uh, the one rumor that has been floating around, and I think you and I both have some thoughts about this, the Manny Machado rumors. Uh, what is your take on this? Because I... I, I think the Indians and I are both on the same page. Dealing for Reynolds is just not really something that you should do as a as an established contender. I think if you're a team like maybe the Mariners or uh, uh, somebody who's making a wild card push or is just is having a Cinderella season, I think you'd maybe try to go for broke then to try to pull out all the stops to make the playoffs and make something happen. Then you trade for somebody like Machado. Or if you're a team like the Yankees and you just uh, have money to burn, then uh, then you do that as well. But I think beyond those two extreme ends of the spectrum, I think that everybody in the middle should be trying to stay away from rental players, especially if they're going to be pricey like Machado. So I think that uh, the Indians trading for Machado, unless they somehow get a steal, uh, get him for a steal uh, return, like somebody – Somebody uh, like uh, uh, Aaron Savali or uh, uh, maybe even Eli Morgan, or although I hate to trade those guys, uh, somebody who is not a top prospect name. Uh, if they somehow pulled that off, then maybe I would be on board with it. But even still, I, I say that trading for Reynolds, especially hitters who you know are probably more volatile than pitchers, I would say, on average in the postseason. So... Uh, those are my thoughts on the on the Machado uh, front as far as that's concerned. I think that uh, the Indians would be dealing too much to get him for not, not enough of a guaranteed return. There's two different schools of thought on it. One is that it, it's that you don't deal your top prospects for a rental. The other school of thought is why wouldn't you deal prospects for a rental, especially – if we're talking about guys like Nolan Jones, who are who is still in low A, and Eli Morgan, who's still in A ball, and guys, point is, guys that are basically fringe double A and lower. I think that if you, it, it depends on what the Orioles want as well, because we know the Orioles need just about everything, including starting pitching. So if the Orioles ask for a Tristan McKenzie, I'm not saying I'd deal him for Machado because I absolutely would not. I wouldn't compromise a future potential ace for a rental shortstop slash third baseman that may or may not hit in the postseason. Like you're, you're a hundred percent correct about hitters being so volatile. Once we get into October, look at last season when the ALDS hit in Francisco Lindor and Jose Ramirez who are arguably two of the best hitters in all of baseball, had com- had four combined hits in that ALDS. I mean, it just happens. So, point is, if you can shore up a spot in the lineup or a relieving arm or a starting pitcher, you probably want to take the arm over the bat. And that's my, that's my personal thought on it. So, if the Orioles, let's say, we're going to use the Orioles, for example – not just because of Machado as a big bargaining chip, because I used them as an example before. The Orioles have a guy like Michael Givens, who has two years of control on him. They also have a guy like, I believe Darren O'Day has one year of control. If not, I know Zach Britton does. So if you want to go for a guy that has that one year of control, that might be a little bit better, per se, than that guy with two years of control, you're going to give more prospects up um, for the guy that has two years of control. And the guy that has one year of control, you might be able to take down the load a little bit. But the guy, and he's actually played against the Indians tonight. I, I've heard a lot of speculation about Rysel Iglesias from the Reds. And he has, I think it's three years of control under him. Can you imagine the price of, that it's going to take to get a guy like that in Cleveland? It'll take Mejia and then maybe some just to go get a guy like that. So, I mean, 
there's it's a double-edged sword because it depends on a what the Indians envision with this whole operation that is this bullpen that's out of whack and has been out of whack all season. Do you want to go get a guy that has not just a year of control beyond this season, but potentially a guy with two? Do you want a guy with a one plus one? Do you want a guy that's a rental for this season? I think that the game plan in order to not compromise your window is to get a guy with control. But at the same time, you're going to compromise a bit of your future by giving up that larger prospect. So I think it's a really difficult game that you have to play. Unfortunately, the Indians really didn't make those moves in the offseason, so they do have to pay for it right now. Um, So, yeah, like you said, we're going to be talking about this way more within the next couple weeks as the trade deadline comes closer. But it's fair to speculate now what the Indians may or may not be offering because these talks are 100% legitimate. One quick uh, final thought on the uh, trade front for tonight. Uh, I wanted to mention the fact that, uh, and I'm not saying it is going to play out this way, but let's consider the fact that there are probably going to be a lot more sellers in this year's market than there will be buyers. So the buyers might have the upper hand this time around, and we might see some of these price tags start to drop depending on you know who's selling who, who's selling what, and uh, who's and you know how many. Uh, relievers or how many of one position are on the market. So we might see the price drop for a guy like uh, Rossiel Iglesias, uh, depending on how many uh, teams are offering relievers. Uh, You know, we we know that the Orioles, the Marlins, the Reds are all in the market for uh, dealing some relievers, and uh, the market might be saturated, and we might see – might see some of those uh, prices drop. Uh, that's all I'm saying right now. So I'm just going to say, while I'm not sure what the market's going to be at this point, don't automatically assume that it's going to be a king's ransom for every reliever, the top-end reliever that's out there, because um, I think that just because there's so many sellers out there that it's not automatic that uh, there's going to be a ton of players, ton of teams uh, looking to buy, uh, or enough teams looking to buy to be able to justify the asking prices. So just keep that in mind. Uh, Really quick before we uh, get to our player of the week, uh, you mentioned a fun kind of exercise you did on your most recent radio spot over in Youngstown. You uh, you were asked about the uh, underrated prospects in the system. So I figured right now, since it's right around the All-Star break, midway point in the minor league season, a little past that actually, but uh, who are, in our minds, the most underrated, is the most underrated starting pitcher, relief pitcher, and hitter in the organization right now as we are at, now sitting at the midway point in the 2018 minor league season. And uh, I'll let you uh, list your, your three first, and I'll list my three. Well, as far as starting pitcher goes, this has definitely been talked about on previous shows, and Justin Lada brought it up when he filled in for me a few weeks ago. Xiaoqing Chang is, without a doubt, the most underrated starting pitcher in this system. He's 24. He throws strikes. He doesn't mess around on the mound. He, his ERA may be floating around the three-and-a-half mark, but he, his command is so solid, and he just understands how to throw to hitters. He, I think he's very underrated. He doesn't walk too many guys, um, about 72 strikeouts to 21 walks. That's not so bad. I think for a guy that's, un, that's just not talked about quite a lot, I think he's very underrated. Um, as far as arms go – there's a guy I know that you're a big fan of, um, and I'm not going to take your number one guy, Ben Krauth, by any means. I don't know if you were going to bring him up. But how about a Dalbert Siri in Lynchburg right now? All he's done over the past couple of seasons um, since he was in Mahoney Valley two years ago is he's established himself as that back-end guy, as a future, as a setup man, or even a closer. Um, he's been very solid for the Indian system, whether he was in, he's in Lynchburg this year, but um, Lake County last year was kind of his breakout. And then as far as an underrated hitter, I know he gets his due as a quote unquote top prospect. Um, And by top, I mean like a top 15 guy, but I don't think we give Andrew Kalika enough run um, because he does a lot of stuff very well. We talk about a Shane Bieber as a pitcher that kind of checks off all the boxes. Kalika is pretty much that as a hitter. He can run, but he can hit for average. He's smart on the base paths. He plays good defense. I, I think that he's a dark horse 
and I and I'll kind of envelope into this little kind of conundrum here. We were talking. Uh, you mentioned my radio spot. I was I called into the uh, local CBS Sports Radio affiliate around here to talk Indians today, and they were asking, you know. What are some of those realistic options for the bullpen and the outfield in Cleveland? Because let's be honest, that's what they need. And I mentioned, you know, if you want to look at dark horses that are in Akron right now, I would say Kalika, and then I know he's not quite there yet, but what about an Eli Morgan as a reliever? I mean, I just think that those names right there are very solid prospects. They ha- they're, you know, of age. They were both college guys. I think there's good potential for them, but I think Kalika needs a little more run here because he does a lot of stuff well. Yeah, he, he does, and he, I think we both are on the same page with uh, Kalika being the most underrated hitter in the system right now. I mean, I sifted through a couple of names. You know, I think uh, Connor Maribel, Mitch Longo also deserve some uh, mention there, but I, I think that Kalika is the most underrated hitter for the same reason that you said. He just checks all those boxes. He doesn't do anything exceptionally well. You know, he doesn't. he's not going to hit, like, 20 homers or steal, like, 30 bases or do do anything crazy like that. But he's going to rack up extra bases. He's got good gap power. He's got some speed. He's got a little bit of power that he can he'll probably hit you 10, 15 homers a year. And hit for, he'll hit for average as well and play some decent defense. He's made a couple of highlight reel catches uh, so far this season. So I think that oh, that all that considered, he is definitely the most underrated hitter and probably position player in the system right now. Uh, so I will agree with you there. And as far as starting pitcher, I'm actually going to go a different route. I mean, Xiaoxing Chang definitely underrated in his own right, but you already mentioned him. I think Eli Morgan is probably the guy who with the best numbers in the system right now, not just for pitchers, but probably – uh, players overall in the entire organization probably has the best numbers that nobody is talking about or nobody seems to be talking about anyway. So far this year between uh, Lake County and Lynchburg as a starter, which I that right there, I didn't think he would uh, last very long as a starter, but then again, it's still one season. We'll see how things play out in the next few seasons of his career. But uh, he's 8-2 and two and 17 starts with a 196 ERA, 114 strikeouts and 96.2 winning. 182 batting average against, 0.83 whip. How is nobody talking about this guy? I mean, when Shane Bieber was dominating, clearly he was dominating on another level, uh, but Morgan is not too far behind, and I haven't heard his name brought up once other than maybe when you and I mentioned or somebody here at IBI mentioned it. I don't think I've seen any fans acknowledge him or uh, much, or I've seen hardly any other publications acknowledge him. Uh, as far as what he's doing this year. And I I think that's a travesty because he is doing so well this year, pitching so well and clearly uh, mowing down everything that the A-ball levels have to offer him. And I wouldn't be surprised to see him maybe move up to double-A to finish off the season at some point. So there's my most underrated starting pitcher. And my most underrated relief pitcher, boy, this is tough to choose because I think there's a few different names. There's guys like Luke Eubank and Columbus – uh, who's a, been a great story. Kieran Lovegrove in Akron just I – mean, we talked a lot about Mitch Brown, but uh, he's he's probably up there too. But I think Lovegrove is probably more on the underrated side. And then down in Lake County, I think that Kyle Nelson has earned a lot of uh, – earned a lot of uh, 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 accolades as well and what he's been able to do so far this year. I think he's back on the disabled list right now with shoulder soreness. But uh, he, I don't know why what he's still doing in Lake County, but he – can't be there much longer before he has to be moved up, but he's dominating on so many levels down there. So I think I'm going to call it a three-way tie between uh, Eubank, Lovegrove, and uh, Kyle Nelson. So right there, I think that those are my three most underrated uh, players. But I, I just to put a finer point on Eli Morgan, I just think that I don't I don't understand how why he's not talked about more. I I really don't. I mean he's not. A, not a uh, top-round pick. I mean, I mean, he is an eighth-round pick, top-ten-round, but, you know, he's not like a first, second, or third-round pick. Usually the, the first one through five rounds are the ones you hear about most. But I think that he's a guy who deserves to be talked about more. So just – and Kalika, too. I, I think that those two guys in particular deserve to be talked about more than they have been. I really like that Kyle Nelson mentioned because he doesn't get a lot of run either. Um, for as young as he is. Those are all some pretty solid names that we mentioned. And 
Eli Morgan is so interesting because when he was dra- from the moment he was drafted, there was a lot of thought that he could move quickly, and like you mentioned, he doesn't have much more to prove in a ball. So if he can get that move up to Akron, and then who knows what could happen from there, honestly, because if that forty-man roster calls for it and he might have a chance in September, then you know he could be a dark horse to either eat some innings up in Cleveland as a starter or as a reliever, should they still need one. So I think he's really intriguing to keep an eye on for the next couple months here because he's got that potential already after after being drafted um, not too long ago by by the Indians organization. Yeah, definitely. And uh, another honorable mention, but I don't think you mentioned this before we went on the air uh, about Luis Oviedo, who is starting to get a little more play now with his dominance in Mahoning Valley. But I don't know if I would consider him underrated. I just Think of him as you said before the show. You think of him as more of of an unknown. He just his name isn't out there enough yet uh, to really uh, be considered as uh, under before he can really uh, be considered underrated. So uh, Oviedo dominating in Mahoney Valley right now continues to uh, just mow hitters down left and right, and I wouldn't be surprised if he gets moved up at some point. But uh, yeah, Oviedo. Maybe could, could be considered underrated, but I don't know if he fits the exact right criteria at this point. Not yet, and I think he's getting that recognition. Um, I forget which – it was Morimondo. When Sean Morimondo was released by the Indians, um, this was MLB Pipeline. They update their rankings whenever a player graduates to the big leagues or whether when they leave the system. And Oviedo was slotted right in there at 19. That's pretty impressive for only having a few affiliated ball starts under his belt. And just to briefly mention a little bit about him, because I actually got to see him pitch on Sunday. He looks very calm out there. He, he gets a little fired up when, um, you know, when he records a big strikeout or whatever it is. But he has a very smooth delivery. That's the number one thing I noticed about him. You know how, like, a Clevenger or maybe even a Trevor Bauer, not that they're stretch because they're not. This herky-jerky motion that kind of starts and stops a couple of times. Oviedo just kind of starts and he flows, and it's really nice to watch. And um, already he's on fire. I think it's like .39 ERA. So if he can keep that up this season, then he's going to be – he could probably be something special. Yeah, definitely. So, yeah, we've talked about him the last couple of weeks. More people are starting to pay attention to him. But I urge all of you to who are listening to please check out uh, Eli Morgan. I know because he's in Lynchburg, it's kind of hard to keep track of. But just look at the box scores. Look what he's doing game in and game out, night night in and night out. Uh, just how he is dominating uh, in every sense of the word. And uh, start to consider him when you think about future starters for the Tribe. Uh, he definitely deserves to be considered in among the ranks of uh, maybe not on the same level as Tristan McKenzie at this point, but, you know, maybe on the same level of an Aaron Sabali or uh, Adam Plutko or uh, any any of those tier two kind of uh, starting pitching prospects. But uh, tell you what, Corey, it's getting toward the end of our show, and that means it's time to get to our Player of the Week picks for this week. And before we uh, – get to, uh, well, let's review last week's picks first of all. We had, uh, of course, I, I must be a jinx on Francisco Mejia because every time I pick him, it seems like uh, that's when he starts to fall into a slump. And over the last week, uh, for me, uh, Mejia batted only 158 with a 449 OPS, three hits, a double, an RBI, uh, walk, three strikeouts. So he... Did not get July off to a very good start. Uh, June was obviously phenomenal, and he rolled kind of a uh, rolled quietly into the All Star break. Hopefully, he gets the second half off to a good note. Uh, your pick, boy, you smoked me this week. Uh, Ernie Clement in Lynchburg, five games, twenty two at bats. He batted three sixty four, so eight hits with a double and four RBIs, two walks and a strikeout, just continuing to. Uh, Hit, put the bat on the ball, that uh, make contact cool again movement. Man, I'm telling you, he's he's right up there. And an 871 OPS, so definitely uh, got to give the win to you this week. Uh, great pick there. And uh, without further ado, 
this week's Farm Report Player of the Week is Lynchburg Hillcats outfielder Mitch Longo. Surprised it's taken so long for him to get to the uh, Player of the Week uh, uh, podium this year, as I think he won the honor a couple of times last year. But five games this week, he batted 458, uh, an OPS of nearly 1,300. Uh, he had two homers, a double, a triple, six RBIs. Didn't walk any, didn't walk at all, but he only had four strikeouts. He stole a couple bases. Uh, Longo, just doing what Mitch Longo does, and he's doing that now in Lynchburg. I mean, he's had some ups, a little more ups and downs than usual this year, but uh, overall, still very good numbers and uh, de- definitely deserving a Player of the Week this week. And up till tonight, he's played in 75 games, which is actually his career high games played for a season. He played in 60 last year between Lynchburg and Lake County, and then 38 in 2016 after he was drafted, he was with Mahoney Valley. So Longo is playing more games, and he's still hitting 300. So I wouldn't consider it a major drop-off as much as it is an adjustment. Um, and he's getting the ball in there less than one ground up per air out. Um, his strikeout aren't too ridiculous, about um, you know, a little bit over two per two strikeouts per walk. That's not so bad. Um, he's just a fairly, you know, you talk about those underrated prospects. Mitch Longo definitely is one of those guys. Um, and all he's done for the past two years now is hit. So he, we, there's a good progression that we could project for him within the next couple of seasons. He's just really figured it out, and he's turned it on, and he's kept that light on for the last couple of years. Yep, and uh, I should also mention before we get off the uh, – I, I also forgot to mention before we got off the uh, an underrated player – uh, a talk. Uh, we had, of course, at the beginning of the year, people are probably going to remind us that we had Connor Capel on that list, too. Uh, Capel just got back off the disabled list after missing a, a lot of time uh, recently, and uh, right now he's uh, struggling at the plate, uh, batting 171 over his last 10 games. Still very uh, underrated in a lot of respects. Uh, he's got six homers and 40 RBIs in 71 games. Uh, batting 269, 769 OPS, so still playing very well, uh, uh, pretty solid overall. But uh, yeah, I think he still deserves to be considered uh, in the underrated player status. Uh, it's just you know with him being on the stable list, it's kind of easy to kind of easy to uh, forget about him in the moment. But uh, definitely deserves to be in there as well. Uh, uh, before before we get to our final thoughts, Corey, uh, what are your what is your player of the week pick for next week? I'm going to stay here in Mahoning Valley, and a guy that we haven't mentioned yet, you guys are going to want to get to know Richie Palacios really quickly. He's riding a 10-game hitting streak. He's hitting 444 in his last 10 games. He's the Indians' third-round pick out of 1,000 this year, and he looks like a baseball player. He plays shortstop. He could play 30 feet two. He's been playing some second base because Tyler Freeman's at shortstop. That's a really good middle infield combo, by the way, Palacios and Tyler Freeman. Um, he's got baseball in his blood. His brother was a 2016 fourth round pick for the Blue Jays. Um, like I said, he's hot this season. He started off in the Arizona League, didn't last long there. He's hitting 396 in 13 games with the Scrappers. So I'm gonna go Richie Palacios this week. Get to know him. Sounds good. Um, I'm gonna go actually stay with Mahoney in Mahoney Valley right there with you because there's a guy right now who's really hitting the ball well as of late. And uh, that is outfielder Hosea Nelson, who is batting 351 over his last 10 games with a homer and seven RBIs. And uh, I think he's a guy that, you know, as long as the rest of the team is playing well and continues to play well, I think now that he's starting to lock in at the plate, as he seems to have done so this year, batting 295 with a 791 OPS in, in uh, 16 games, I think he's going to continue to stay hot. And uh, let's see if he uh, can uh, continue to swing the bat well over the next week. So uh, both of us going with uh, some Scrappers picks. Nelson was the reason, I would say, that the Scrappers took two out of three from Williamsport over the weekend. He had a walk-off uh, walk off single on, I believe it was Friday. I'm trying to get my days right. No, it was Saturday. It was the opener of the series. He had a walk-off single on Saturday, and then yesterday the series rubber match against the Crosscutters. He had a go-ahead uh, he had a go-ahead three-run home run in the sixth inning. So he's been pretty clutch for the Scrappers as well. I, I think along with Palacios, Nelson, 
and then Tyler Freeman have been really bright spots. And then Jose Fermin. Those four guys have been really solid at the top of Mahoney Valley's lineup. So when they get home, um, the Scrappers have a big home series this weekend against the Hudson Valley Renegades. Um, entering Wednesday's play because of the whole New York Penn leaks off tonight, Tuesday, as we record this. Um, the Scrappers lead the Renegades by a game and a half for the league's best record. So that's going to be a really good one Saturday, Sunday, Monday. If you guys get the chance to come out to Eastwood Field, please uh, come out and support the Scrappers. They got some good ones over here. All right, sounds good. Uh, final thoughts for tonight. Uh, Corey, what do you got? Um, as much as we're talking about the trade deadline, and I guess it's kind of hypocritical for me to say this, but let's calm down with the Manny Machado stuff because I've seen on Twitter a lot about just people in general um, thinking whether it's a good or a bad idea to go get a guy like him. And at the same time, you got to kind of sift what the important stuff is because do you want to compromise? And I'm not saying them trading a top prospect for a guy like Machado is totally trashing everything, but that's a risk you're going to run. So I think that's something to keep in mind during these trade deadline talks is that while the Indians have these prospects to deal, do you really want to take a, a potential hit three, four years down the road and cash all your money in right now? I'm, I'm a firm believer that if you have the, the capital to spend, then go spend it. But at the same time, um, you, you got to spend wisely. So I think this trade deadline talk that we're talking about is very justified. But at the same time, let's wait to see what actually happens out of all this. All right. Yep. Sounds good. Uh, we'll keep an eye on that for sure. My final thought is going, has to do with uh, Sean Mormondo, which you mentioned before. Uh, mm-hmm. Him being uh, released by the organization came kind of as kind of a surprise, seeing as how he's more of a younger player. A uh, younger pitcher, uh, had some success in the organization, and uh, has been dealing with an injury all year. That's why he hasn't pitched much. Uh, but the Indians did need a 40-man roster spot, so I guess they decided to move on from him. And uh, as of this week, he was picked up by none other than Mark Shapiro and Ross Atkins up in Toronto, who have picked him up, and I believe they assigned him to AAA. So I don't know what his uh, health status is now, if he's ready to pitch again, but... Uh, He's been picked up by uh, Cleveland Indians North, uh, as we're starting to call the Blue Jays now, as Shapiro and Atkins are just scooping up former Indians left and right. They already picked up Giovanni Urshela earlier this year. Uh, now they're picking up uh, now they're picking up Mormondo, who I'm sure that both guys like Urshela and Mormondo, those are guys that Shapiro and Atkins uh, uh, drafted and signed together back where they were with the Indians. So there's obviously a previous uh, relationship and connection there, so... But either way, we wish uh, Sean Mormondo all the best in Toronto, and hopefully he's uh, able to get his, get back on track and continue his development there. Yeah, sometimes when you see players like this go, it's a little bittersweet because we've known Mormondo throughout the system for quite a few years, but at the same time, that opportunity in Toronto is going to come because the Blue Jays really aren't going anywhere with regards to postseason Um you never know if they're going to be a mover with some with some of their big league guys. So I think this is good for him to get that opportunity. you got to wish him the best of luck. All right. Uh, sounds good. Uh, Corey, before we go, do you have anything you want to plug? Not really. At the moment, it's been a lot of uh, stuff. Like I said, I've been doing some web and social for the Scrappers. So if you don't follow the Mahoney Valley Scrappers on social media, um, definitely get on that. That's basically what I've been running. I have a Scrappers notebook up from – uh, last weekend-ish, um, so go polish polish some notes up on that. I'll definitely have a new one out by the end of the week uh, before the scrappers come back home, most likely on Friday. Um, so, yeah, definitely look for those as, as I'm fully back in Northeast Ohio, like we said earlier, with, with Indians prospect mode. All right, sounds good. As for me, I'm back in the full swing of things. I had the Rubber Ducks Notebook posted this week, which had uh, featured Kieran Lovegrove, so some thoughts there. And I'll have uh, four thoughts this week. I'll have a Hillcatch notebook. And I think I'm going to try to get in touch with uh, people down in Lynchburg, see if I can set up an interview with Mitch Longo. Because I I'm, I'm, I have a hankering to do a feature on uh, on Longo and how he's been hitting the ball so well this year. And really, I want to get down to the nitty-gritty and find out, you know, what's his secret? What's, the, what's he doing to be able to hit the ball so well so consistently? So uh, I'm hoping to be able to talk to him at some point and uh, watch for that as well. Um, 
Be sure to follow us on Twitter. I'm at uh, Jake D Baseball. Corey's at CD Kristen. You can follow the Smoke Signals account at Smoke Signals IBI. Follow the uh, IBI account at official underscore IBI. Get links, uh, notes, uh, breaking news, and analysis from our personal accounts as well. Uh, get all that there. You can also contact us on Twitter. Ask us questions. Do wherever you want to get in touch with us there. Uh, that's, that would be the best way to do it. And also be sure to subscribe to the show on iTunes. Leave a nice rating and spread the word. That is all we ask. Corey, another great show this week. A, a great time talking prospects. Uh, until next time, for Corey Christie and the Farm Report Podcast, I'm Jake Dungan, and we say to you, have a good one. For questions and comments, you can email us at smokesignals at indiansbaseballinsider.com. Also be sure to follow us on Twitter at SmokeSignalsIBI, where you can find links to all our shows, as well as poll questions and other cool podcast stuff. Thanks again for listening.